Good morning, Gardenia. Welcome to Adam versus the man. Possibly in higher definition. I don't know. We got an, we got a, apparently my phone. I didn't even know this was eligible for a 5G upgrade just by changing the chip, the SIM card. And it's like, it's a Pixel 3 XL. I kept it. I wonder what motherfuckers were telling me, oh, no, you're going to have to buy a new 5G phone because they were going to get some kind of commission off it. But no, apparently that was unnecessary. And uh, now I can get brain cancer along with the rest of the Babylonians plugged into the latest in 5G technology. And maybe, maybe bring you Adam versus the man with a better, more reliable connection. We'll see. All right. Uh, we have just two quick sort of like, I don't, I don't know what to call this, but like weather notices, notes, alerts that might be affecting people in our audience. And of course, always fun. I told you so is attached to them, right? Actually, our first one, KXAN.com. ERCOT, E-R-C-O-T, conservation alert. Texans asked to reduce electricity use through Friday. The Electric Reliability Council of Texas. And you're like, <laughs> Reliability Council of Texas, which controls the flow about 90% of the power in Texas is asking residents to conserve power through Friday as temperatures in the state surge. And yes, we are in the middle of the heat wave right now In uh, for our area. It's expected to get to 106 today. It's very nice and cool and comfortable in the uh, in the Freedom Factory studios here in Gardenia, but uh, only for the morning. It does get warm. Also, in natural news, SanLuisObispo.com, the Tribune, swarms of dozens of quakes continue to shake California Lake, USGS reports. A swarm of at least three dozen earthquakes reaching up to 3.2 magnitude is at the Sultan Sea in Southern California in the past 24 hours. Most quakes in the swarm fell below two and a half magnitude, according to USGS, the most recent hit at 5.30 a.m. Pacific time Monday. The four-mile-deep 3.2 magnitude quake hit at 11.20 a.m. Sunday, according to the USGS. So if you're anywhere near the Sultan Sea in Southern California, this could be... This could be the prelude to the big one we've been waiting on in the San Andreas Fault area for so long. And with that, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Comedian Jeremy Nunes joins us at, at the top of the hour. Steve Remus is our co-host. But first, Producer Dose with Executive Producer Jim Freedom. What's going on? Welcome to the show, everybody. As you know, you can join us at t.me forward slash Adam versus, Adam versus the man. That's a telegram channel public telegram channel that everyone is welcome to join uh if you don't want to worry about winning a contest to join access into the private producers club you can just buy your way from patreon one five ten or even fifty dollars a month are the different levels of access ten dollars a month to get you access to the private producers club which will also get you access to 15 percent off and free shipping on everything at the store so definitely check that out take advantage of it get yourself involved Instagram. I don't know if you know this, but the handle is at the Garden of Freedom. That's where you can find all the pictures and videos of everything going up there in Gardenia. Keep up with the life of Adam Kokesh and his homestead up there. 
and uh, check out all the cool pictures and videos he has going on up all the time at the at the Garden of Freedom on Instagram. Uh, next, the Crypto6.com. Those guys uh, that were raided, the Bitcoin church that was raided up in Keene, New Hampshire, I'm sure you've heard of. The Crypto6 is where you can go to learn more about them. Write to the ones that are still in cages or donate your cryptocurrencies through the QR codes on screen. The Crypto6.com. Definitely check that out. Uh, educate yourself. Get involved. And lastly, GoGreenEnergyOnline.com is our favorite place to send people that are interested in learning more about solar power, micro wind power, and zero energy homes. If you're thinking about doing it yourself, this website has a great resource for educating yourself and uh, so you'll know what you're doing there and get the best job done for yourself. GoGreenEnergyOnline.com. There you go. All right. And with that, Coach Steve joins us today from Southern Arizona. Welcome to the show, brother. <laughs> Hey, good morning. Good morning. What's on your mind today? Um, well, let's see. Probably the same old stuff for the last year and a half. Um, <laughs> it's really, um, actually, there's there's some stuff going on in the actual National Libertarian Party that uh, I think is quite concerning. Um, don't want to don't want to spend too much time on it, but uh, it appears there was some collusion and coercion involving some of the national LP, uh, the, the, like the LNC chair and everybody, um, with, uh, with an issue of, uh, replacing the New Hampshire state affiliate with a new one, <laughs> uh, because they didn't like the messaging. So there's a whole, uh, there's a whole situation unfolding there that, uh, we've been monitoring here, uh, with the Arizona LP, um, mm. And there's some interesting there's some interesting email traffic um, that I'll I'll probably shoot the, you the link uh, for you to read through it. So yeah, uh, it's funny you mentioned it that way because I heard of it from Joey from a rumor from a, some glimpse of what was <laughs> happening through Twitter, and it was I chose it, to stay out of the drama. Yeah, it, yeah, it came to me as just that they, they stole the bank account, and my response was like. You mean they stole the money in a libertarian state party bank account? <laughs> so there's, what? Like, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's never money in those accounts. Yeah, it's, it's, know, like, uh, no, I, I, I don't mean to, to be too demeaning of that, but uh, like libertarian party state affiliates sometimes carry balances for like basic operating stuff. Yeah. But when they, when they get money around events or they make money or with fundraisers, like, we spend it on libertarian party business and activism like the stealing the accounting it's like what? Money but, no, but steve's explanation uh makes it, it it's make a lot more sense it's that, it's, it, it's very there's listen there's like the email threads on this between like the region coordinators and like the board is like there's clearly like stuff that happened behind the scenes that is uh, not, it is not very principled in nature, Adam. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, and, and we were, we were trying to avoid a lot of it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's very, it may be unavoidable for people running for office is the unfortunate thing. Yes. But so, so it sounds like just to make sure I understand and recap what it looks like to you at this point, is that the bank account is a secondary element to the oh, fight yeah. over being the official LP New Hampshire affiliate. 
Yep. And this is this is just for the so for the people who don't know, (laughs) we want to we want to back up for the uninitiated in our audience today, perhaps. Um, The Libertarian Party, uh, compared to the other parties, uh, we you know we actually live and organize by our values. Now that doesn't stop you know infiltrators from screwing things up and coming in with with nefarious intentions. But what Steve is referring to is that that we have a national organization that is not top down. That the the meat of the organization, the actual authority over everything that's not really a national issue, is with the state affiliates. And and often and and it would be nice if it would be down at the county level even more so. And it is to the extent that states don't really get in the way of county affiliates doing what they want to yeah. do within the lane of the non-aggression principle and the you know purpose of the libertarian party but you know if a county affiliate wanted to have like you know liberty themed bounce house you know whiskey and shotguns and strippers party every weekend the state party might say we're not going to promote that but you're the lp in your county no one else is like coming and voting you out it's it's and so the authority of who gets to be the state affiliate is who has the most people show up and vote around? There's 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 like a, a metaphorical torch created yeah. that is we are the official Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. And all you have to do is show up around the torch with the most bodies and you get to vote to be in control of it. It's not that hard. It's it's show up consensus, majority yeah. vote has that authority. And so it's it's really kind of dumb when you see people fighting over this shit. But it would make sense. If it's a, a national control kind of thing going, we're trying to keep the affiliates in line to serve the national organization, and, and that, which and is which is like it's like. the national organization yeah. truly is like a feder or at least set up as a federation of the states. It would almost yeah. be better if you had a whole council where every state. Uh, chair or somebody was represented but yeah it's not really necessary so people didn't want things to get more authoritarian or when we change (sighs) chairs it looks like yeah that is is, and you know we we were trying to remain as objective as possible but with some of the recent emails um especially the one from from the chair last night uh so yeah it sounds like it's presumptuous for us steve to like be pointing fingers at this point is that fair or are you um well you know it's so we don't want to make assumptions but when the evidence is really starting to pile up to look one way it would be very hard for new evidence to come out and change how i view what has happened right um you know and, and even the evidence that they've cited for their for nationals reasoning behind uh, persuasion, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> uh, of, of creating a new LPNH is uh, very flawed and uh, just, it, it really doesn't stick to our principles. And it's very, uh, it should be very concerning to uh, the other state affiliates that national has sort of place themselves in the middle of this, right? It's something that could have been resolved between the state party and whoever was trying to create another state party. 
Um, but it appears there was some influence that caused the situation to become much, much greater and much more of a problem than it should have been. Mm. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to sit here and like cite stuff I've read in their emails. Um, their, their email, their email business list is public. Um, but it's definitely worth a read, um, you know, uh, to, to get the full context. Uh, last time I checked, each email thread probably has like 15 or 20 emails in it. <laughs> so, uh, and it's very, yeah, it's very interesting to see sort of the division even amongst the national board. Um, and that's, that's sort of dis, that's sort of disconcerting for candidates or people that want to be candidates is, um, especially if you're going to run for Congress, you would hope the national party was, uh, I guess a bit more principled and, and unified in, in how they do business. I get, I get people are going to have disagreements, but this is pretty. Uh, this is a pretty substantial thing to have a disagreement over. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we tried. Well, we tried avoiding it for a while. We tried. We tried to just monitor the situation, and then really the last forty-eight hours, um, the AZLP and I, and I talked to some. I, I talked to the Arizona Mises folks. And we were all like, wow, this is going completely in a direction that none of us really anticipated. Okay, so hold on. Let's let us let us let's at least cover the crux of this. Uh, yeah. as, as the result of your preliminary investigation, conclusions would indicate uh, we have yet, to, but, but sort of due process condemnation here, let's say for now. Um, so... What was the origin of the dispute with the New Hampshire LP? So from some of the emails, it was that they did not like the uh, messaging that the LPNH had switched over to. Um, they felt it was a bit aggressive. And there were some tweets they sent out that I would I would agree with them on. Okay, um, but were they out now? This is this is this is worth examining. Would they constitute violations of the non-aggression principle in their messaging or or advocating for violation of libertarian principles because if it's not that then it's a matter of taste and national can go fuck themselves yeah and, and wants to communicate a certain way right and i i feel it's they weren't right i mean uh anything that they drummed up was on somebody's personal account Oh, and, well, then they got no fucking business. Yeah. So, so yeah, the the stuff they. But no, 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 no. But then again, no matter how inappropriate messaging is on somebody's personal account, that doesn't justify starting the organization over. It might be removing an individual yeah. or voting them out, but then you address that personally. It sounds like that's not what happened here. No, and 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 one of the emails, some someone makes it clear that. Uh, they take issue with uh, Ron, the Ron Paul version of libertarianism, <laughs> which <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's, it's in one of the emails. It's one of the email threads and it's, it's, you know, no, that's fine. I mean, I could say that I take issue with yeah. some elements of Ron Paul libertarianism, but I'm not going to like make a big, like I'd say, you're way not toxic. Like he's a voluntarist fundamentally. So it's really silly for me to say this. But and that's why it's weird. But like I would say, you know, I don't, I don't agree with his. What actually, one thing is, uh, last time I heard Ron Paul speak in person, uh, he, he sounded like 
an abolitionist. Like, you might as well get rid of the whole thing at this point. So maybe he's come <laughs> a lot of ways. But I, I might say that, like, I disagree with Ron Paul's version of libertarianism as it used to be, uh, kind of yeah. uh, as it used to be, kind of fetishizing the Constitution. But that's stylistic and strategic. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. <clears throat> and then you know, uh, obviously, there's there's some folks that have always mm -hmm. taken issue with, uh, you know, the Mises Caucus energy and how they recruit people, and um, it it all seems to be just uh, some of it's just childish. Um, because it, in order for them to justify some of what they felt about certain members of like LPNH, they went and had to dig on, on those folks' personal accounts, which is none of their business, right? So, I um, mean, the fact that someone from the LPNH did that to reason to National that they needed to Hold on, give us some names here, Steve. Fill, fill in, in, in some flavor of the controversial messaging. All right, so uh, you had uh, Jeremy Kaufman, who was doing a lot of the tweeting for LPNH, um, and he's pretty radicalized in his messaging, um, but I don't feel like any of the stuff he tweeted officially um, really crossed any party principles or lines. Now, some of the stuff on his personal account that I saw, <laughs> I was like, wow, please don't, <laughs> please don't share that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, like, uh, let's keep that to yourself. You know, you I'll say it next to you, but that's your message. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, that's, that's, that's your thing. That's fine. Yeah, um, okay. And then you, you <clears throat> have, uh, you know, some, some of the other stuff i mean it was him doing most of the tweeting and and i don't take an issue with it and a lot of us a lot of folks didn't take an issue with it it was you know something like one of the tweets he sent was like oh the libertarian party you know is going to reverse course on gitmo so that we can hold the senators that encourage lockdowns in gitmo <laughs> it's like you know it's kind of funny right so right. and and they cite stuff like that as being you know, not principled because people will think we're going to reverse our position on Gitmo. And it's like, you can tell it's a joke. Like you can tell it's a joke. And it's, it's stuff like that. That is, that is sort of spurred some of this. Um, the other part of it is there was uh, Jackie Perry was expelled from the state party um, for doxing Jaletta Jarvis um, and posting her like work contact information and her work phone number and everything, which is a violation of the NAP. So, um, and then coincidentally enough, Jaletta Jarvis uses that to try to create an, a secondary LPNH, but she was already the chair of the previous LPNH. So that doesn't make any sense to me, but, um, and in the email chain, that's like, she was going to the current chair. Um, I, I think, uh, well, it was Jaletta. Um, she's no longer the chair. She got voted out. <laughs> Um, obviously, but, um, there's an interim chair, um, Nolan, sorry, buddy. I can't remember your last name. <laughs> wait, wait, um, she got, hold on. Yeah. She got voted out after a special thing or at the no, last convention. So she got voted out by the existing XCOM because they still technically exist. Right. So after she did this, they voted her out. It's a very complicated scenario. Very it's very Republican. It's very Republican and Democratic in there in everybody's yeah. actions. Like it's very, it's it's very yeah. not real libertarians don't fight over stupid party shit like this. And and that's and that's what 
the, the issue is. Mm-hmm. And then it appears Gilletta was going to resign, and then she talked to someone who has remained anonymous, and that person convinced her to create a separate New Hampshire entity. Which is why exactly did she, the XCOM vote her off while she was chair? And this is why this was at, following the recent convention, right? Well, so, so they voted her off, off. So they they voted her out like a day or two ago, based off this <laughs> this scenario. She hadn't been voted out yet. She was talking about resigning, um, and then all this happened. And then like a day or so ago, they voted her out as chair. Um, but now she's the chair of this separate entity she created. So, yeah, very, very. You're just gonna have to read the email traffic. There's a. There's no, a whole I don't. Lot of, I really don't want to. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get you to like get me just enough. So I, and I'm, I'm trying, trying to. I'm trying to give you as much as I can that I understand. But there's a lot of it that. Right. Like, I'm starting to get sick of it already. No, but do you think so? Like, I, let's let's step back because like I know I've I've met Gilletta. Seems nice, but I don't I don't know what her real motivations are. Um, I, I only vaguely know the, uh, the others, uh, names that you mentioned here, <laughs> but I'm, I'm very familiar with the dynamics and I've seen versions of this in the LP. And first, let me just say, it makes you appreciate people like, like Mimi Robeson in, in California, who's been state chair for how many cycles and, and, and just for being, Why? For being uh, an anchor for her state party, and that's and that's and, how it should be, right? Yeah, and and people like Howard Blitz, and Arizona, yep. and, and our current chair Emily Goldberg, who um, has been around and has worked her way up slowly to chair. It's not like she just suddenly was like, "I'm running for chair, put me." And you know, uh, no, and and I think we really need. To, and and I I say it. I guess I I'm, I didn't realize I'm saying this out of so, so much self interest in my own activism here, but. Um, I, th- I think we should we should really value and appreciate uh, people who've been around for a while and brought stability to their activism or to the movement. And I don't mean stability like, oh, yeah, stability in the status quo and statism marches on. No, but I mean, people who have been just, <clears throat> you know, and, and I, I want to burnish my own credentials here to say, say what you want about me. But I have been doing this for I'm, I'm looking at my calendar and my clock on, the, on my computer. Like, how long how long have I been doing this again? Uh, I've been a full-time activist or one of one kind or another since I, I think of March 19, 2007. So, you know, 14 plus years and in 14 plus years, um, I've been accused of plenty of things like any activist who's doing stuff, but um, like I've never been accused of major theft or fraud, um, not credibly. Uh, I've been accused of like, oh, you stole, you didn't pay your employees, you know, like petty shit, whatever that, that's going to happen yeah. when you employ people as an activist and you know, I've been accused of not being nice to people. <laughs> you know, like I've been accused of being rude on social media, you know, but like I've been here, I've been working, you know, I've been honest serving the cause for 14 years. And, you know, like I, I, I want to say like, let's look at people like that. And then let's look at people like this and just like whether or not, and, and it's not, you know, you're beyond, I, I want to make it simple and I want to make our movement, you know, learn, the lessons from you know a big dumb episode like this. Yeah, and that's, less- that's the thing. So that's the thing. Everyone cites uh, what happened in Oregon ten years ago. Like, this happened in Oregon because what happened is national took a side, right? 
And that's exactly what happened here is it appears not only did National take a side, but they influenced the side to do something. And that should never be the case. Yeah. And that's that appears to be that's the that's the easiest way for me to sum this up is they just needed to stay out of it and they did not. Okay, but that's that's uh, that's that might be the conclusion for this episode, which is yeah. like let's address this. So we'll come back and address this issue with National. Um, but I want I want to speak to the to make this conversation worthwhile for people who still barely have any idea what we're they're talking like, about. Like, what's it's really bullshit inside politics stuff. And I want people who are new to the party, who are new to this movement, who are new to this audience to know that the way I've learned to deal with this kind of stuff over 14 years of activism, and there's there's organic threats and there's sabotage threats, and they look the same. And like organic threats are activists are crazy and squirrely and shit happens and there's drama and there's competition and a lot of people want the spotlight and a lot of people have egos involved. And a lot of people have, you know, petty personal shit they're bringing to it and their own traumas and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Any organization, any volunteer group, blah, 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 blah. But then there is the sabotage shit. And when you see stuff like this, it might be petty stuff getting to the level of sabotage impact because the LP New Hampshire does not have a functioning party because they're fighting over the shit. And even here in Arizona, Steve is sucked into the drama. And I know Steve has, has got like the awareness enough to be like, uh, yeah, there's a limit to this, and there's a reason why Steve isn't coming in here going, I know who did this in Guns Blaze. Yeah. Bah, 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 bah. Let me quote you know, this, hard, this because he doesn't care, right? The hard part is, like, you know, we have to, like, in a, in a, when at first, when the whole thing broke out, I said, listen, we have our own goals for the people of Arizona. I do not care what New Hampshire is doing. And then, you know, once, once the stuff about, like, there's perhaps national influence of having caused this, then it's like, okay, well now we, now we have to talk within the AZLP about like, Hey, what's, how do we relate to national? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's the next piece in this then is what is the, is there a smoking gun here? You say the chair you're talking, you're, you're, you're making a pretty serious public accusation against Joe Bishop Benjamin here. Like, and and I'm not and I'm not the only one. Okay, um, you know uh, I, have, I, I have since my have conversation seen... with him in California about about weed. Yeah, he was of um, the opinion that medicinal it should be highly regulated. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on, <laughs> Joey. Joey, that's that's see that's in the that's the wrong category. Me. No, but see that's in the wrong category. Yeah, I, I, that's fine. You can say. I will not ever actively support him, but no. as long as the party does and he's maintaining the chairmanship and holding out the I vessel, the party. then uh, and, and he's not interfering with you doing your messaging. So, yeah. Joey, I'm going to yeah. like, no, no, don't bring that into this conversation because we're not. talking about he crossed an actual he, line here. I, what is that? I, I believe he, I believe as a chair of something like the LNC, his, his duty is to remain objective and sort of maybe maybe oversee what's happening, maybe listen to the complaints. But even in his latest email, it is clear that he participated and influenced the split of the LP New Hampshire. Okay, hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let me let me let me let me speak in his defense here because maybe 
it, he just because he didn't you haven't accused him of lying or cheating or even violating the bylaws all you've accused him of is taking a role as chair that you disagree with which is a different kind of criticism am i wrong um to a point yes however he he also states in his email um he he basically slanders the entire mises caucus and i know the mises caucus hey. isn't everybody's favorite caucus um but it it is integral into it's a chunk of the membership it's a very active chunk of the membership so for so, the chair to disparage members without uh without that for not for 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 factional reasons that that does cross the line but does is does it i, I would and and that crosses the line with me uh, on the other issue of like how active should the chair be in that leadership i i don't know off the top of my head i don't know yeah it's because it's, that might be appropriate but disparaging members now i will say i'm 100 like yeah chair should not be doing that but is is does did it cross a line is the answer for you to say hey chair if you do that i'm not going to vote for you again or support you again and i would well, like you to do this or did he actually cross a line where he's violating rules that he agreed to uphold or enforce or adhere to and is therefore committing a, a kind of fraud if he's not taking responsibility for it yeah and so that's the i think that's the catch-22 is is I think some of it comes down to interpretation, like how how you interpret how what a by like what a bylaw actually means, right? right. So uh, there, there's going to be a fairly split, like it's going to be fairly split amongst like people in the Libertarian Party. Um, so and, he's legitimately in that gray area. It's yeah, it's, it's like it's, there's no yeah. smoking gun. So yeah, this is still this is still in the realm of bad leadership rather than corrupt or dishonest leadership. I mean, let's let's bad so, let's, so yeah. I'll, I'll and it could be that. really 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 bad, but it's a different category from corrupt and or dishonest. And I'll and I'll caveat that with yes, but there is the 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 evidence and even some of his statements that he said in that latest email sort of point to uh national influencing like uh influencing the split like if it's not him he was influenced by either a major donor or someone else um because Gilletta Gilletta did a video and said she was influenced to to do what she did and that's sort of right now the link is between you know, Gilletta and JBH, but, um, you know, there, there are rumors that I don't, I don't want to talk about. Yeah, Sometimes, there's definitely, yeah. There, I, I very much appreciate that you were involved in this in such a way that, you know, a bunch of things that, that you're, you would be appropriate in not going public with yet. Um, but yeah, so there's a comment here. Did you put this up, Rich Clark? Or did you, Joey? I didn't put it up. Okay, so this is a good one. Sometimes an alleged Fed infiltrates the national board and tries to subvert the party. Uh, it's allegedly happened. Fortunately, we're pretty solid at sussing out the alphabet boys, allegedly. And I, and it's like, 
this is a much bigger subject that that all of a sudden becomes relevant and it's something that i've talked about a lot and then you go oh yeah if you've been listening to adam and paying attention and uh, read the wikipedia for cointel pro and if you know <laughs> the uh, uk undercover policing scandal and you had some you know perspective uh kayla and i got i bet foreign agents are infiltrating also yeah so look but just <clears throat> like let's be step back and take a rational assessment we are the libertarian party yep we are america's largest third party but more fundamentally we are the global justice movement seeking to address the greatest injustices in the world at least as we see them through the institutions of society and i would greatly respect someone disputing my language and saying no adam heart disease is a greater injustice okay okay but in terms of like human relationships social organization institutions government governments around the world the greatest single source of injustice and there are a lot of people as with every injustice who profit from that injustice and that's what that's what we are doing we are threatening to take the toys away from the most violent the most powerful and the most wicked people in the world. Yeah, and so I was some pushback. And like I was ta- I was talking a little conspiracy earlier uh, to to a couple friends of mine, and I was like, you know, this would be the perfect way to 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 stall the Libertarian Party's growth, while the Republican Party and Democrat and the Democratic Party heal their wounds because they're also split and fractured. So what better way to prevent us from gaining traction than than creating us to have our own internal squabble, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what so there there are a lot of lessons you could take from this and 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 I could rant. We do have other stuff we want to cover today. But I guarantee our guest is going to be funnier than Steve. I mean, um, yeah, this is my bad everybody. It's Tuesday. <laughs> Yeah, getting heavy on a Tuesday. We got we got economics to talk about too, uh, but I, I do want to at least get to some conclusions. And I'm, I'm hoping, Steve, that there will be uh, a, a succinct, credible write-up about this at, at some point. Um, so I, I believe they're having an XCOM meeting sometime this week. Um, it's uh, there hasn't been a real sense of urgency outside of like two members of the board. So. <laughs> Um, which is real, which is another interesting, you know, concept, but, uh, you know, that's all we'll, I'll, I can talk about my conspiracy theories later on Twitter. Well, about, about <laughs> the, uh, the infiltration, if they can do, if they can infiltrate with one person, they can infiltrate with two and they can make one the decoy. Yeah. Oh, you caught the infiltrator. Good job. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, this I, is so crazy, complex, multi-layered deception uh that you could go on forever and so i, I want to remind people then uh th- this is why i i have things i do with groups and i have things i do by myself <laughs> you know like yeah. adam versus the man we have a team we have a group um and and we have we have an awesome audience that makes the show possible but this is not an organization this is me my voice on the internet and i'm grateful for everybody who amplifies it and listens but this is me when I go and work with the LP, you go, okay, this is a group. This is a consensus yeah. group. Yeah. When I do Homefront Battle Buddies, you know, as, as, as a veterans nonprofit, we're going to be hearing more about that soon, although we've had some interesting delays again here. 
more more good positive stuff logistically. That is why I brought up the cannabis conversation um, because that conversation is a very good indication of somebody's intent. I, and I don't care who you are. If you ask them what they think about legalization, rec versus medical, and they give you some status. No, I want to control. But Joey, it's a an infiltrator could lie about and, that. And it's a good indication that somebody is not going to be that that sound voice that solves problems without getting their emotions involved. Yeah, and I will say not like, indicative of somebody. Yeah. Who can oh, oh, there's a very important idea you objective. just hinted on is that. There's this weird false framing in the LP that the moderates, as opposed to the radicals, are being calm, cool, and collected, and the radicals are being emotionally driven. And yeah. it's 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 true with individuals on both sides, both ways. Who cares? But intellectually, and what drives psychologically the position to that uh, what we might call libertarian-leaning statism as opposed to libertarianism, which might be, like, like I'll say that I'm extremely moderate in my transition as well compared to the, the extreme of push the red, Murray's red button, Murray <laughs> Rothbard's red button, and it all goes away tomorrow. I want to see it localized in a peaceful process. And a lot of yeah. people would look at me, a lot of radicals would look at that and say, Adam, you're going to let state governments be huge for decades under your plan. That is sick in status. And I would say, yeah, well, that's my, that's my practical compromise in terms of well, getting into voluntary society. Yeah. But I will I mean, never argue against ending coercion. I will never argue for sustaining coercion. And I will never say it is anything more than uh, getting what we can as fast as we can and achieving that. And when people deviate from that, it makes you wonder. But also that position that you uh, ascribe to Joe Bishop Henchman, Joey, that's the one that is emotionally driven and it's driven by fear. And it's a cold emotion. Fear is a cold emotion. Anger, love, th those are hot emotions. Fear makes you cower, makes you cold, makes you shrink. Sure. So but it's just as dangerously fear. emotionally driven. Yeah. And in his case, it's calculated. In his case, you can't ascribe, oh, Joe Bishop Hensham is afraid of saying, you know, you own yourself and the drug war completely. Let's make that issue apply voluntarism there. Um, but he is he is a manifestation of fears that are a part of the party that are, I think, blown up by infiltrators or amplified by infiltrators and saboteurs to get us to act out of fear. And one of the traditional tactics of COINTELPRO and such types of saboteur efforts are destabilization through ginning up emotion. And when we are who we are as a libertarian party, perhaps the most effective way to shut us down is to make us afraid of what we are actually doing. And it is something to be afraid of. In, yeah, in prior generations, and, and still today, occasionally, people get killed. We're doing what we're doing. We're saying what we're saying. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's the the best way to elicit somebody to get to to have them do what you want is to have them respond emotionally instead of logically with reason. Because once somebody responds emotionally, their brain can't backtrack and go back to logic and reason, right? So if you elicit an emotional response, you know, you're much more able to control that person or control those people. 
because once you sure. cr- once, yes. once you elicit the emotional response, that that other part of your brain, the, those two parts of your brain don't function at the same time. So if you get an emotional response, that's it. That's, that's and so one. there may be a deliberate sabotage tactic being applied to the Libertarian Party of let's amplify all the fear. Let's make it so that that is manifest as moderates, as compromisers, as boring candidates who don't stand a chance of having a breakthrough against the duopoly because they're not really representing anything significantly different. And they're just scared. What what are people attracted to? People being bold and, 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 and expressing human will in a powerful way, not timidity, not compromise. And I'm not saying that compromise should never happen, that we should never be timid. But in what we represent as the Libertarian Party, being overwhelmed by fear has destroyed us in so many ways. And if you can, as an infiltrator, whether it's government COINTELPRO or whether it's someone from one of the old parties. And I, I have to remind people, like, the old parties, who do they work for? Bankers in the military-industrial complex. That's who pays their paychecks. And they're given the parties, not counting campaigns and 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 all sorts of issue advocacy and other things related to these causes in the, the literally billions and billions and billions of dollars. The national parties have annual budgets in the hundreds of millions of dollars. If yep. you were given a chunk of that, you'd be like, come on, you're going to use part of that against the LP, right? And, and that's all they have to do is... is let us be steered by fear and 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 for the new people perhaps for those who are still afraid to be here to to stand with the lp and and we should all we you should be afraid you should never act by it or indulge in it but you should if you're dumb if you're a member of the libertarian party and you're not afraid to be a member of the libertarian party then you're dumb <laughs> you don't get what's like either you have an inadequate fear mechanism or you don't understand what the hell we're doing here. Like yeah. You should be afraid. Like there should like you shouldn't be. I, I take that. Yeah. When I say be afraid, I mean like you should, you should ra- have a rational fear and acknowledge it and move on and never act in that fear. Like you're but afraid you, of sharks. Like, so you don't walk yeah, around looking yeah, for right. a shark all day. But you, you got to know like that that's a thing. That's a part of what we're doing. And if, if, if you can make that fear the dominant, you know, determining dynamic of the direction of the Libertarian Party, even if just in policy, you argue policy, argue what kind of candidates we should put forth in. And if fear wins and we end up uh, being timid in, in our advocacy for justice and, and become neutered and completely ineffective as a result, then the saboteurs will have won. And that's all they have to do. And even then, if we recognize that those of us who see it get angry, right? It's tempting for those of us who see this to get angry and to get angry at the people who are acting out of fear. But then we're just as emotionally misled as they are. And then the whole party is lost. And the whole cause is lost. The whole movement is lost to the extent that we give in to this manipulation. Whether it's deliberate or not, this is clearly something that is a major, major dynamic within our movement and within the Libertarian Party. 
And I, I want to cut this because we're like 45 minutes into the show getting into this, but it is compelling. It is unfortunately uh, being put in our faces currently relevant with what's going on in New Hampshire. Any other comments you wanted to get to before we, didn't you have a comment contest we were supposed to announce yeah, like yeah, half yeah. an hour ago? Let me, let, me do the, <laughs> let me do the comment contest. <laughs> so comment contest is what is the largest social issue preventing us from advancing individual liberty? No, you wanted to. I guess. I guess we can just leave it open ended like that. Yeah, leave I'm gonna it leave it for, for now. I'm gonna leave it open ended right. like that. So you can't answer federal government. That's the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I already took that one. Yeah, I know. I know, but social issue. You mean something more? Uh, like, like, is it qualified? Abstract, like, is it qualified immunity? Is qualified right. immunity? Is that is that effect? Is that the effect? I would. I would just add an and why. Oh, and yeah. you have. And as with all of our comment contests, you have the option to take it as wrong answers only. Uh, but yeah. say say it one more time. What can people do today to win membership in the producers? Club? All right. So to win uh, access to the producers club, uh, comment contest. Whoever has the best comments uh, is voted on by me and everyone else. What is the largest social issue preventing us from advancing individual liberty, uh, and then why? Uh, why you feel that social issue is. Um, so from, we already have a couple of comments. Uh, Rock Landstone, right-wing propaganda. Right-wing propaganda, really? Uh, second domino, critical race theory. <laughs> now, that one, that's interesting because like I've looked at it and it, it is a weird, like bad idea that is is particularly dangerous and 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 is it dominating i don't know is it having some bigger impact i think you could make the case for that um because do, uh, critical race theory has worked its way into academia and politics and and, and perhaps at, at the the zeitgeist of the american left in in such a way that it might be a major a major but the single uh, so I, would, I would probably say if you're gonna go with critical race theory, you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna lump that into identity politics, because that's how both parties divide us, right? They they find the things that that collectivize us, whether it's race, gender, you know, identity, uh, things like that, and they group us by that and they target us by that. The media is really good at this, you know. So just food for thought. All right. Well, we're going to cover some economic stories now. <laughs> Jeremy Nunes is joining us in uh, just about 11 minutes here. So back to the headlines, Jim. Wall Street Journal. Forget going back to the office. People are just quitting instead. Good, bad, ugly. I, I say, yeah, it's uh, Babylon is crumbling. And people are escaping as the pandemic clouds lift the percentage of Americans leaving employers for new opportunity opportunities at its highest level in more than two decades. So this is weird tension, right? With the super class, this is the string pullers, manipulators of, of, of the bigger economic dynamics in society where they go, well, we want a welfare state. So right. we have an excuse. We want, we want a big, strong welfare state. So we have an excuse to steal from the working class and skim off the top, basically, right? And they also want the racket of 
making government seem essential. By look, if it wasn't for government, people would be dying on the streets. I mean, if you get if you go destitute, you can't rely on community. No, you need you need big daddy government to take care of you. But if it gets too big and strong as the welfare state, eventually it starts tipping some scales in some dangerous ways. And here we see it live unfolding in front of us in a dynamic that libertarian economists have been sort of threatening or like raising as a specter, like, hey, you know, you're going to take away the incentive to work. And we've been seeing that with the overgrowth of the welfare state, not welfare. I'm all for welfare. I want to take care of people. I want society to have strong institutions to take care of the destitute that are safe and effective. I don't want anybody living on the street. I want good homeless shelters. I want good food kitchens and food giveaway programs and food banks. And as it is, what what do we do? We see people get arrested like uh, food, not bombs for just giving out food in a park or or like come and take it. Texas, all, you know, having to go and do be armed to do food to give serving to, to homeless people. But like, why is there this? homeless problem in the first place where we have more empty homes than homeless people in America. Yeah, it really is worth pointing that out again. Uh, it, there's something fundamentally wrong because we have a centrally planned, engineered system to maintain this tension, and now we see it crumbling. And it's because the welfare state is getting too big, too strong, and in a way, it's just the expectations that people have with the profusion of wealth in society. We'd be getting this one way or another we're we're achieving like a, a state of of leisure existence like start like i i guess i i have to find a new way of putting this because i've said it as like the asymptote the profusion of wealth but it, it, you can work for a year and save up enough money to live comfortably for the rest of your life well I'm kind of already there i mean you think about for a single individual right maybe not a family maybe like if you wanted to you know work hard for a year or for a few years maybe it's not down to a year yet maybe maybe my, my little data point ideal is an exaggeration but we would be there if it wasn't so much being stolen from us in taxes and going to this welfare state instead in a very inefficient way so because the welfare state is getting too big and too strong people can't uh find the reasons to go work for the man anymore like fuck it, fuck, fuck your, fuck your job. I can take, I can live comfortably on welfare, and work under the table, and not have to subsidize the welfare state that uh, I can, where I can take my resources and give directly to my community instead. I don't have to support the warfare state, the police state, the surveillance state. You're fucking corrupt asses in Washington D.C. Why, why, why would I do that? And so you're going to see more of this, but this is becoming. Uh, a predominant trend in the economics narrative of the day is, in that you can't hire people. You don't want to work mainstream jobs. CNBC.com, Paul Tudor Jones says, go all in on the inflation trades if Fed keeps ignoring higher prices. I wonder how much money people are taking out of welfare checks and government benefits and buying Bitcoin with. That'd be a nice stat to know. Uh so, someone's got to have estimated that though right i mean you just look at all the money cash you know <laughs> going into buy bitcoin rich clark you should never plan on retiring with government assistance 
you as a bonus, but take care of yourself. Otherwise, that's a very good point. So, like, I had that for myself. And here's an, here's an interesting thing is that we are being, we are, because of government, essentially deprived even of reliable economic institutions for those things. You want to plan for your retirement. Like, I, I thought I was developed, I had developed two reliable forms of passive income for myself. I had my uh, pay from the VA for disability earned through my service. And I had my residuals from YouTube. And my old videos used to get continuous views until we started getting censored. And, and I was making, so at, at one point, uh, it, it, I was making $6,000 a month on YouTube. And I looked at it and it goes like, half of this is new videos. Every month. Half of it is old videos. And like, even if that goes down, and I took a break, I was like, cool, but that $3,000 a month just keeps going because my old catalog had that momentum. But now, now what's that? But then so many things censored, demonetized, taken down. And uh, if, I mean, we're looking at like there's like there's going to be other opportunities to, you know, monetize my catalog, so to speak. But then I invested so much in YouTube as a platform and had and now now it's like one hundred fifty dollars a month, maybe for my old videos, yeah. one hundred fifty a month. And like a tenth, a tenth of what I would expect. And it's not even it, it's they're getting like. Half the views and a tenth the pay, roughly. Yeah. Jim Freedom, our executive producer, wants to weigh on this one. You still get the views, you just don't get the pay anymore. Yeah. Well, we don't get quite no. Yeah, we still don't. We don't get the views yeah. either. But even for the views that we do get, we don't get monetized as fairly as we did before. So one of the things I'll just say is a quick, uh, quick, quick transition note or uh, producer note to, to sneak in here is that we are looking to to go to sort of a complete ad-free model and committing to demonetizing on YouTube and just saying like. Adam versus the man is brought to you ad free by patrons through patreon.com. The sad thing is, even patrons not reliable. And as I'm putting all my eggs in this basket, I'm going, well, eventually we need to do a subscription crypto service. And eventually we need to be processing credit cards on our own and offering membership services outside. And then puck credit card systems aren't reliable. And then the dollar, ah, oh, god damn it. You know, you're like, god, all of these things, like our economy is fucked fundamentally because of how they're screwing with the monetary system top to bottom and even like it, you want to say well I, i'm going to grow vegetables and sell them on the side of the road well, what are you buying with the money you get from selling them on the side of the road oh you know you, you're paying taxes you buying fertilizer you're paying for water and, and utility like there's just babylon is is like you know an infection that has crept out into everything through monetary policy uh, in, unless you want to really check out and be like a monk on a hill. And, and I, I'd like to think that the, compared to the mainstream Babylonian lifestyle, what we've developed for ourselves here in Gardenia is, you know, 95% of the way out of Babylon. Yeah. But even then, like the other 5% is, is still fucking toxic. And it's a weird compromise to have to make. And be like, yeah, yeah, 5%. That's about right. That's my choice. And I do not deride anybody for their choices. Like if you wanted to go to zero or if you want to go to 100% outside, that, that means no internet. Yeah. I mean, maybe you're a monk on a hill and you can walk once a week into an internet cafe where someone who likes you lets you use it for free and you can connect to the world that way. Through but the, the internet yeah, is the internet though, is the internet is infected with Babylon. I, like, yeah, 
So oh, I, right. Once you get on the internet, there you are. I don't care if you're at the top of Mount Everest. And, and, and there are parts of it that are clear. Like, like even if you go super secure, dark web, anonymous, everything, you're using a device that's bad. You're using a Babylonian device. There's it's like comments sun, today. There's know. a bunch of them that I should be reading right now on the screen, and I can't read them. All right. Well, our guest is going to be with us in two minutes. Um, let me just do this real. This this uh, one other bit. There's we have a bunch of econ stories. One other big one though, this this Paul or this this Paul Tudor Jones story, um, said he would go all in on the inflation trades. The Federal Reserve is national this week regarding rising consumer prices. I'd probably buy commodities, buy crypto, buy gold. If they course correct, then you're going to get a taper tantrum. The Fed's two-day policy meeting is scheduled to conclude Wednesday. This is billionaire hedge fund manager Paul Tudor Jones. I didn't recognize the name right away either. Told CNBC on Monday he's paying close attention <coughs> to this week's Federal Reserve policy meeting in light of recent economic data showing higher consumer prices. If they treat these numbers, which were material events, they were very material. If they treat them with nonchalance, Nonchalance. I think it's just a green light to be to bet heavily on every inflation trade. If they say we're on path, things are good, then I would just go all in on the inflation trades. So yeah, uh, this is, Jones is also the guy who called the stock market crash in 1987. Founder and chief investment officer of Tudor Investment. Um, so it, Mainstream investors now, people who control massive amounts of, of, of liquid and invested assets are looking at this going, it might be time to bet on inflation. Now, they're giving this a week. And Paul, Paul Tudor Jones saying, Wednesday. <laughs> like, and and this, is, this story is from Monday, from yesterday. And he's talking about Wednesday. So uh, there's supposed to be a news conference with Fed Chairman Jerome Powell after the central bank releases its statement at 2 p.m. Eastern time, Wednesday. So I think they're going to pull back. I mean, if I had to predict, I got to be honest, I don't think this advice is technically relevant because he says, if Feds keep ignoring higher prices, if they don't pull back on rates. I think they are. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna real time economic history being made. We get to see it right now. Fed meeting tomorrow. Conclude. Well, it's it's actually it's a two day policy meeting, so it's happening right now as we speak. Concluding Wednesday, and then followed with a press conference where they uh, project that. Um, out into the future. All right, I'm trying to catch up on um, on on messages here on Instagram. Looks like our guest is ready. So, uh, without further ado, uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, our guest today, Jeremy Nunes, comedian who has been doing stand up since 2002. Very talented dude. 2019, he released a dry bar comedy special called Neighborhood Sask. Watch. Oh yeah. Uh, any 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 good Sasquatch jokes? I'll take them. I'll take them however I can get them. Um, his first ever Amazon Prime special came out last year. Who's with me? And the uh, the weird thing about Jeremy is that he's not more known for his political exploits. Like 
He should be like, I'm I'm a former mayor who does comedy. Like that to me, I don't maybe I'm such a political nerd that that's the better sales pitch. But you pitch yourself as like, I'm a comedian who, by the way, used to be mayor. Like, it's no big deal. Okay, so uh, Jeremy, welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to have you on. How you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. So I, I don't know where you want to start with this, but like I just screwed up your whole introduction by saying you're doing it wrong, man. Uh, where, do you want, where, do you want, where do you want to start so I can tell you tell you you're doing it wrong some more? Or can, can, you, can you back back up as, and and tell us like whatever? How how does your childhood connect to being a comedian and be being mayor briefly? Just give us some sense of the chain of events, at least, please. Okay, so I grew up in a, in a small town in the middle of Illinois, and um, as is sort of the small town tradition, um, you know, the, the father passes on the family business down to his son, and then eventually he passes it to his son, etc. So uh, a true story, my family runs the, the trailer park in our town, and for years, uh, my dad had planned for me to take that over. And uh, of course, the comedy bug had bit me, but I had to break the news to him. I was like, Dad, you know, I do feel like I can make just as much money doing comedy as running the trailer park, which is accurate, tens of dollars. <laughs> of course. So um, so that's kind of where uh, I got into the comedy scene. Now, as far as going from, uh, from comedy sort of into the mayorship, um, I travel all over the country do, doing stand-up, and I'd see all these amazing small towns everywhere, and I thought, why... Why can't my town be like this? So uh, I ran for alderman and I won. And um, how old were you at that point? Maybe 28, I think, maybe. Okay. And okay. so uh, one alderman never intended to be the mayor. Uh, we had an incumbent mayor, had been mayor about 24 years. And um, all the people that were, you know, on the town board with me kept saying, you need to run for mayor. You got to get take him out. You know, and uh I was like, well, why me? And they're like, well, you're the smartest guy in the room. You ask great questions like, how much will this cost? <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, so I, I, yeah. I didn't want to be the one guy in the room who bothers to ask that. Yeah. And so I didn't want to be the mayor, but sort of to, to appease everyone, I basically ran, but sort of made a joke out of it. So my campaign slogan was put a real joker in office. Yeah. And then because I thought, I mean, who would vote for that person? Uh, 80% of the town. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's kind of how I made my way in there. And then, uh, you know, after all the chaos that happened, all the funny things, then, yeah, I, I wrote the book, which well, I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. But yep. yeah, you just, just skip over all the funny things. Right. Yeah. What kind of comedian are you? Uh, that's right. So, so what well, I mean, that. That's a that's a pretty simplified story. I appreciate the summary, but what was what was the real, you know, cause for this? What's the motivation? What, what was what what was the conflict? That, I mean, were you fighting out of control budgets? Like what what was the? Well, I, I I haven't heard a story like this that doesn't involve some corruption being rooted out. So, <laughs> so. We had, um, so when I was alderman, we had, uh, you know, one young lady trying to to sleep her way kind of up the ranks. And, and when I'm mentioning that, per I am not talking about Kamala Harris. Uh, <laughs> 
So, um, so that was sort of the big controversy. They felt uh, we had a young lady who was kind of getting some perks based on, uh, you know, her, her sexual exploits. So uh, that was sort of the big one. And uh, yeah, somehow I won by accident. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, did you, uh, what, what did you, what were you able to accomplish this morning? Okay. So um, we got you, so we're nothing, looking. nothing. I wrote a book. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> a politician is useless. And that's why I introduced my, I'm still a comedian first. Being a politician sucks. We accomplished nothing. But because I'm a comedian, I wrote a good book out of it. Was that, there you that go. what you say? <laughs> well, um, so as far as real things that we got accomplished, we're a town of 500 people in the middle of Illinois. So don't usually get a whole lot of attention from uh, the federal government as far as grants would go. Uh, got, uh, I think, f yeah, four grants in four years. The, our town didn't get a grant for, I think, maybe 16 years prior to that. So we got four grants in four years, um, replacing street signs, light bulbs, energy efficient. And, um, oh, we uh, improved the town corridor, and then we got a flood wall to uh, build around the water plant, which had been uh, about once every 10 years, a giant flood would about take out the water plant. So we had to scramble and get uh, get some sandbags there to save the plant. So now, you know, we got, got all these grants in place. I won an award from uh, the local newspaper. They have a 40 under 40 to 40 most valuable mm. people under 40. Got that. And... Uh, and my one accomplishment I still haven't got is um, my wife refuses to call me the Honorable Jeremy Nunes. <laughs> that's that's not how marriage works, dude. All right, <laughs> um, so that's 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 quite a legacy you've got there. When are you announcing your presidential bid? <laughs> you know, I uh, I halfway thought. You know, so I don't know if you remember this. There was a. Um, a congressman uh, from Illinois who got himself in a bit of hot water, uh, Aaron Schock, if that rings a bell to you, probably around uh, 2015, 2016. And so he was sort of one of the hot young sort of uh, uh, presidential or not presidential GOP sort of rising stars. And right. so uh, they were looking for somebody else to kind of fill in those shoes. So I was sort of being vetted to do that. And then they started asking about all the, uh, all the skeletons in my closet and they're like, yeah, we, we probably shouldn't uh, put you on the national stage. So, <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, I would hope maybe you know, I'm a descendant of two different Illinois governors, neither of which went to jail, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, halfway thought about maybe a, a gubernatorial run at some point, but um, uh, I don't know, you know, the family, you know, we build up a family. I don't want to really embarrass anybody. And, you know, of course don't want to go to jail. So what are you going to do? Uh, well, what was this a partisan race? What, what's your? Uh, oh, by the way, um, do you know Dave Smith, uh, comedian, uh, YouTuber, Richard Rich Clark here says be interesting to hear this guy talk to Dave Smith, similar paths, different direction. You know, I've heard that name. I've never met him though. We you, we'll get you on his show next for sure. You guys are gonna have a fun conversation. Okay, but, sure. Uh, I'll well, I'm gonna I'll do the preliminary screening for you. Uh, what what's what party did you run with? Was this all nonpartisan? Well, as far as the municipal elections, it it's all it's all independent on the municipal uh, side of things. So, um, and then so the congressional that would have been for the Republicans, and uh, so it's interesting, kind of how I got turned on to you. You'd be surprised how many comedians are 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 secretly libertarian and don't want to tell anybody. 
So, you know, after my, my they can steal all my dumb jokes and make them better. And I won't say anything. <laughs> I won't. I won't. I tell I have like I am a nonstop stream of like half-baked dumb dad jokes for two hours, five days a week. It's like if you're looking for just like content that you can rip off and polish without getting caught, Adam versus the man. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, man. And so um, so it was a lot of those long car rides that, uh, you know, inevitably politics comes up at some point and, um, yeah, they start talking about libertarianism and I was like, I don't really know much about it. Tell me more. And then, so that's kind of how I was like, Oh, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Uh, sort of one, so to go back to my time as mayor, one that I can absolutely cannot understand why, uh, either party is, is be, of the two majors are, are behind this is the, the eminent domain, which is, yeah. Just the federal fucking government. Offensive. It's fucking. You can say fucking run for office in in this century, okay? <laughs> it's fucking offensive that government steals shit and says eminent domain taxation. That's the excuse. No, it's fucking theft. Yeah, we <laughs> we had a lady on our town board. Anytime somebody made her mad, she'd be like, "We're gonna eminent domain their house <laughs> and we're gonna put a park there." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, just the, the, the bald-faced, violent threat of government. Yeah, we're just going to shit. Agree with us. Sub submit or we will steal your shit because we control most of the men with guns here and women in the, in the police forces who will, who will point them at you and help us steal your shit. They will back us up stealing your shit. Well, they have to give you fair market value, but of course they determine what the fair market value is for it too. Yeah. It's fair a market <laughs> value is enough that you don't have to steal it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had a, uh, uh, I had a very good, um, good friend of mine had some, some farmland, uh, central Illinois and, they tried to eminent domain his farmland to put a road in to get to a water plant that already had a, a road going to it from the other way. And uh, he eventually prevailed, didn't have to, to give it up. But he had spent, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in a lawsuit just to defend his own property. So the government could take his own property from him. All right, Jeremy. Big abstract question here. What is the purpose of government? <laughs> what is it supposed to be? Um. <laughs> no, no, well, no, you can answer. So you can answer in two parts what you would like it to be in your perfect world. And as an institution, what is its functional purpose currently? What is its purpose currently? Uh, well, I don't know if I'm a wacko for this. I, I do believe they're sort of a deep state sort of running the show. And um, they basically in large part distract uh folks like us from uh what they're actually up to um mm. so that's that's my view of kind of oh, hold on but that's, hold, hold on i want if you don't mind i want i want to like socratic dialogue this with you because you're on a really good path here okay where you're like yeah but that's that's what it does it's not why like why does it distract us like what is it doing hmm well I, I think it sort wants of the, us distracted so that it can keep getting away with what? Well, maintaining their own power. Uh, yes. Sure. So, and, and, uh, and what do they use the power for? 
<laughs> to to make themselves richer right, is my belief. Exactly. On that. Okay. Exactly. Okay, so that's <laughs> it. That's it. Just making sure you're 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 you got it. So the way I say, I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth. Okay. But that the purpose of government is make the rich richer at the expense of the rest of us. Yeah. Right? Okay. Get yeah. Yeah. Keep themselves in power. Right. Okay. So, and that's it's it's very true in Illinois, isn't? It? Well. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, of course, you know, so we had uh, we had a governor go to jail for some backdoor dealings. Then the next governor was Blagojevich. So if you recall, um, yes. Barack oh, Obama was so much fun for comedians, wasn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah. So, yeah, if you recall, so Barack Obama was a senator at the time, and then, of course, gets elected president. So uh, as goes the the Constitution, the governor uh, appoints, appoints the an interim. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. uh well, what was he going to do? Uh, he's on tape. Auction it off Chicago style. We're going to sell it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So then he ended up going to jail for that. And then uh, then the next governor, Quinn, I think, was supposed to go to jail and found his way out. Um, so we're on a good streak now. We've had two in a row that did not go to jail. So <laughs> <laughs> low standards. Okay, so now, so so Jeremy, here's what I'm getting. I'm I'm going somewhere with this. I am. I'm get buckle up. All right. All right. Because uh, you said you you acknowledge this is the purpose of government. And uh, next question, sort of important understanding is what what is the duopoly's role in this? The the Democrats and Republicans. You know, so so here's. Here's where, you know, I've, I've told some folks on your show there, I, I've just now started to you know, kind of fall, find my way into libertarianism. And here's what I previously thought. The Democrats were the bad guys. The Republicans were the good guys. Uh, <laughs> that's half the country thinks the opposite, but that's engineered that way. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So, uh, but as I've started to figure out, most of each I do feel like there's good people with good intentions uh, on each side, but largely most folks in each party all have the same intentions of, of the folks in power, which is to to get into the deep state, to maintain the power and to, uh, you know, line their own pockets. Yep. Yep. So you would be running for Congress as a Republican. Why? <laughs> well, remember, this was like 10 years ago. but. <laughs> But so, yeah, I mean, you make a good point. I mean, what? Do you, so, now, yeah, now, what do you do? There, there, there are a lot of people, like, I ran, now, it's funny because I ran for Congress as a Republican, okay? You did. I ran yes. while yeah. I was a lifetime member of the Libertarian Party because I was endorsed and supported by Ron Paul as part of the Ron Paul strategy, and I ran in New Mexico's 3rd District in 2010. And I made a grave error in uh, trusting the Republican Party of the state of New Mexico uh, to at least, you know, be straight up. And uh, I, I would say I learned the lesson the hard way. But a, a lot of libertarians and it's funny, we, we were I don't know if you caught the first half of the show, but unintentionally, we ended up talking a lot about how fear holds us back as a movement. And we should be afraid of what we're doing. Like you're, you, and you know this from doing it at a a significant but petty scale in terms of the, the big government racket as mayor. 
but you saw the nature of it. And with a woman saying, if you don't go along, we're going to eminent domain your house. Right. We came up with a code word for steal your shit. <laughs> and legal, right. And, and you know that if you go to run for Congress, Democrat or Republican, if you're going to challenge the system, it doesn't matter what letter you're, you got attached to your name. You're an enemy of the system. And here's the other thing. And you know this, Jeremy. Now, if you're not an enemy of the system. You're part of the system. What's the fucking point? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's pretty interesting. Um, how do I, how do I respond to that? I, uh, this is supposed to be an easy promotional interview for uh, you. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, I, well, I think you're 100% right though, Adam. I mean, I don't even know what to, uh, what to, you know, to, to respond to that. I mean, you know, think even you mentioned, uh, Ron Paul, he was probably the first sort of, um, you know, he, he always had an R next to his name. Um, even though he was, I mean, largely libertarian principles. So, uh, and I, yeah, I saw one of the notes down below there. I said, you, you run with an R next to your name. So because you want to win, um, so, but what I was going to say, now I remember what I was going to say. Uh, if you're, so many, like I said, the, the comedians that I write, you know, ride in the car with, that are, you know, these secret libertarians will uh, pretend to be liberal uh, because they say, well, that's what we have to do. So we don't, you know, don't have any, any pushback or anything. Tell, uh, tell me, tell me, Kyle Kine, tell me Kyle Kinane is way more libertarian than he sounds, please. Because <laughs> they, they all do this I, I'm a fan and they all do this weird It's a weird quasi-liberal We're anti-establishment But we're going to kiss ass to the virtue signaling PC standard culture Because we work in cities And it's an unfortunate <laughs> Consequence of the political dynamics Around comedy, right, is that you depend on Crowds and there's an inherent bias To serve the politics of whoever's More likely to live in a city Well, yeah, yeah So, um and that's sort of where this, uh, my sort of views on this have all started kind of changing when the cancel culture really started expanding in the past couple of years here. I was like, you know, I, I have to just start sharing my views at this point. I can't just sit back. Like you said, what is the point if you're just going to sit back and let everybody else take control? You know, as the mob takes more and more control, and the PC police say you can't say this or that. Uh, bingo. You kneel to the mob, you lose. Um, remember when, uh, when Drew Brees stood up, uh, uh, and defended standing for the national anthem, and then his teammates come after him, and then now he's walking around with a name on the back of his helmet of a racist. I mean, that's I mean, not a racist, a rapist. Uh, that's what happened. He knelt at the mob, and now he's promoting a, a rapist on his helmet. So, um, yeah, if you kneel the mob, you lose. So that's why I've started to speak up and, and say what I want to say. Uh, as far as the libertarian views go, yeah, like I said, I you know, so you do a lot of these corporate events. Uh, you're kind of making small talk, and it seems like people sort of tiptoe around politics a little bit to see where you stand. And then eventually, it seems like everywhere I go, somebody's like, well, I'm actually a libertarian, but I don't really <laughs> tell people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's a nice thing to kiss ass to say to a libertarian host. But uh, let, let, let me ask, you know, what, is, what does it mean to be libertarian to you? Do you understand what most of us consider is the ethical foundation of it, and, and do you agree with that? Well, uh, from what I gather, it's largely uh, the, the federal government, largely not necessary. Um, 
Uh, ta- <laughs> taxation, um, I, you know, is a, a hot mess and a half. I don't think it's uh, the way it should be, at least. Um, and then, like we talked about theft, uh, you have the right to your own property, uh, not just land, but your belongings and your bank account. And the government shouldn't have a way in to, to take any of those things from you. So I think that's largely the main stuff. And then, of course, the golden rule, do unto others, you'd have them do unto you. Yes. Um, yes, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with what you said. I, I would just want to be libertarians. We're all sticklers. We're all, we're all, we're all kind of, you know, precisionists one way or another. But you, the, the one thing I would say you're, you're, you're kind of homing in on here is that uh, it's the non-aggression principle, self-ownership. That is the, the, the core, the fundamental ethics. And, and a lot of people can agree with that. And, and it's very, it's pretty hard to disagree with actually. Um, but say, well, it's not relevant because this, it's not relevant because that, whereas libertarians, we say, no, it's a matter of absolute principle. You own yourself. And that's the foundation of ethics, what we call the non-aggression principle. And the government as we know it today, it doesn't matter if it's federal or state or local, exists on the premise of continuously violating your right, as you would have said, to own fucking property without somebody stealing from you because the mob voted for them instead of somebody else. They get to be the ones who steal from you, and now it's righteous because it's government. No. So obviously you're in spirit with it that way. And, and, and I, I just, I, what, what is exciting, it's exciting to me to talk to someone who's, who's a comedian who, you know, motivates me to be funnier and whose comedy I genuinely have enjoyed. Oh, um, but the, <laughs> what, what's more exciting to me about what, what makes this an exciting conversation is that I feel like I get to probe your deeper political thought process and how it formed and encourage you in like a, you know, gentle Socratic dialogue where you're like, okay, so you know this to be true. So now what do you know to be true? What's the, and it's like, come on, come on, come on, come on, jury next. And then just take the next little leap and, 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 and the bottom of the rabbit hole, like, man, it's, 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 uh, it's paradise down here and you're almost there. Yeah, man. I am. Uh, like I said, I, I didn't want to, you know, pretend I was something I wasn't because, you know, like I told you, I, you know, I'm still, you know, very new to the movement here. But um, yeah. I'm I've been hard to find things I disagree with when I, you know, when people are kind of explaining what what it stands for. Yeah. Well, I, I would really I would really like people in your position to be more welcome in the Libertarian Party and more encouraged to run for office. Um, they, they, they're we are often divided by silly, petty shit. And you are clearly pulling in the direction of justice of what we, you're not, you understand that the, the, the fundamental corruption of the system is not, Oh, occasionally some bad apples sneak in. It's no, the purpose of government is fucking theft. Like primarily, <laughs> like for at least, at least fundamental to its core operation. It's, it's a major organization based on theft. And if society cares about justice, we have to step up and stop it. And I, I think the Libertarian Party is the best chance that humanity has at putting our foot down and saying no more to this paradigm. And, and I want I want to do everything I can to encourage you to find a positive role in that, to, to use that to serve your career as a comedian, to use that to serve your sense of being an activist, you know, in, in serving your own sense of justice. So I don't know. I want to ask more questions like that, but I feel like you got enough gear spinning. So let her rip. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 
Uh, I, I'm just enjoying, uh, you know, kind of gaining momentum in the in the movement here. A guy by the name of Jeff Macalino is a, a comedian who who really kind of uh, pressed the gas pedal down for me on all of this, and and is the one that turned me on to you. So a uh, little little nod to him, and right. then um, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, let me keep my stuff. Uh, but what I do like about uh, the principle, though, is uh, you guys support defending my stuff if the government you know if anyone tries to take it i have the right to defend it so yeah. i can get behind that for sure too so no, I oh hey um our favorite commenter you one two three eight eight one with the five dollar super chat thanks for the show much honesty going on rare yeah no it has been a weird kind of i don't know if theme of diving comment, into some honest places today you one two three hey you is that what you're supposed to call me hey you right hey, hey you, you. <laughs> What the nap was amazing. Oh, amazing, amazing. All right, so yeah, that's beautiful. Now, so Jeremy, I, while I've got a, you know a professional comedian here who's got like, I mean, you got major chops, you know, but you're not a household name, and I wonder if they're like, and and you know, you I don't know if you know my story with Joe Rogan. Quick summary: I did his podcast. And it was one of the ones that got censored when he got bought out to Spotify. I'm like, yeah, I've been censored by Joe Rogan for money. Yes. Like that's, yeah, check. Um, but I, I wonder if, if this pressure that you mentioned uh, to tow a politically correct pro-establishment establishment line on comedians is perhaps a barrier to them expressing more libertarian ideas. And if there's something that we as libertarians, like I would financially support libertarian comedians if it if it was if they were doing something meaningful and it was because they were shut out of you know mainstream revenue opportunities. And right now, post COVID, everything's kind of up in the air. Can you speak to any of that? Well. So I sort of dealt with that, you know, I don't know if you're familiar. I was at the, the Second City uh, Comedy Theater in Chicago. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, of course, I'm in the, you know, the, the home base of, of the liberals there. And at the time was, you know, I, I thought I was conservative at the time. So um, they kept telling me, you know, you're, you're, you're funny, but, uh, you know, your, your views don't stand in line with ours and, and the audience. And so we're, we might have to push you out. And then eventually I did get pushed out. Uh, so I had to kind of cut my own path. Um, you know, from out of, you know, the the grounds where you're you're elevated to status to be on SNL and movies and sitcoms and everything else. And I had to carve my own path from there uh, just because of my political views. And so I uh, carved my own path. And within uh, about a year, I went full time in comedy. That was 2007. And then uh, never looked back. So, you know, the dry bar special and then got a special on Amazon Prime. And then, of course, now a best selling book. So um, I, I did all right. <laughs> do you do you think? There are a lot of comedians out there because this is this is my fantasy that 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 they're like, well, I I'm really more like you said, really more libertarian, but I'm I'm just gonna stay away from political stuff. I'm just gonna stay. Uh, I'm just gonna make humor about social observations, and you know, it, it seems like there's been a decline in the political relevance of comedy from the era of George Carlin. And I know that's a, a, a huge, obvious icon, but even Robin Williams before he died in his last standup special that he did in DC was, was at least 
touching on stuff, but it felt like he was walking a line. And I wonder if, if, if since, since then, like in the last 10, 20 years, has the establishment successfully depoliticized comedy, which would be really fucking sad. You know, if you could, if, if that, if there's any truth to my observation there, and is there any possibility of a renaissance of bringing back the com the comedian as an effective court jester? You know, saying the emperor has no clothes. Well, I I do think they've absolutely silenced the the people on the right for sure. Yeah. Um, Owen people, Benjamin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they've silenced the right for sure. The the others are either uh, pretending to be liberal. You know, some that are liberal and, and believe those views and are outspoken about that. Others pretend to be liberal, like I said, to just avoid the chaos. And so they put that in their in their act. Yeah. Um, and then there's plenty others that, uh, you know, largely, you know, the conservative libertarian side that say, yeah, I don't want to I, I don't want anything to happen. So I'll just, you know, steer clear of it, you know, and then their show feels empty. You know, it's you know emptier than Joe Biden's head. <laughs> Now, I think it serves libertarianism, it serves my ideology in general to make fun of the fucking king as much as we can. I don't care what your ideology is. Even, even the liberals, like, they'll make fun, they'll say, oh, man, it was, or, oh, who, I was listening to some stand-up bit yesterday. Who was it, Joey? You were in the car. We was pointing out, man, oh, oh Nate Bargatze, I think. Like, being a white male comedian Man, it was really amazing when George W. Bush was president because we can make all the jokes. We, then Obama became president. And if you look at one of his policies funny, you're a racist. You know, and this is yeah. like an open. And he did this in a way that was like he said this in a way that was a politically correct um, observation. But yeah. Oh, Rich Clark. Good comedy is about truth and questioning authority slash the status quo. It's more libertarian than that. Yeah. It seems like a lot of stand up has become kind of bland of, of that you know it's devoid of that even like just modern stand-up that i get uh, you know random suggestions on pandora and i think about like like tom segura i love tom segura he's got a, a flippant and an even anti-authoritarian attitude but it's like is he taking all the political shit out of his routine right uh <laughs> So many people have to, and uh, you know, to, to kind of add on Mike Mike's question there, would Jeremy do a show at a college uh, today? No, and uh, most comedians will not. Uh, colleges used to be the best paying gig in the market, and everybody did them. Your goal was to be on the college market, and then now everything is offensive. They're offended to everything. I give an example. Uh, one guy, uh, a friend of mine, has a big. Uh, I I just hate uh, I hate Chinese food. That man, he ate, he hated Chinese people at that point. So then they're all calling him racist because he said he didn't like Chinese food, oh uh, stuff like. So even uh, even prominent comedians don't do it anymore. Chris Rock is very outspoken that he will never do a college show again. Um, uh, yeah, no, I think think about um, who's the wrestler Cena? John Cena. John Cena said Taiwan referred to Taiwan as a country and had to apologize to China, and it's sort of like. <laughs> Wow! Really? Yeah. yeah, and and so I don't know if you saw this. The latest, um, this just came up like maybe yesterday or today. The net, your mom is now offensive. You can't say mom or mother anymore. You have to say birthing person. And if you disagree, you're yeah. homophobic. I mean, 
<laughs> I mean, oh, no, no. And uh, I don't know what you call fathers anymore. Donors? My donor. Uh, I'm going to see him yeah, next right. week on Donors Day. Sunday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh. See, I mean, this is this is the comedy that that America needs to make fun of where we are because like we're, we're at this weird existential point right where we need to we need to stop and look in the mirror and fucking laugh at ourselves you know like at five fi, sorry a funny sidebar um one of the news headlines in our stack today is um is is uh putin talking uh about the United States, the U.S. Sun headline is "Look at yourself." Putin tells Biden, "Don't be mad at the mirror if you're ugly." I'm like, oh snap! Putin's getting into the roast game. Whoa, Putin to America! Don't be mad at the mirror if you're ugly. Woo! Yeah, yeah. Mic drop for Putin on that one. Uh, but that, like, it seems like we're in that moment. You know, it, it, what would what would you say America needs to hear right now? Um, I, I think they need truth and a wake up call that socialism. We are on the doorstep of socialism. Um, and as many people say, uh, you can vote your way into socialism, but you have to shoot your way out of it. And uh, it's uh, that that's Can't a scary part. To make that funnier than scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's what people need to, to recognize, I think, is we're on the doorstep right now. And then, uh, you know, before long, you know, the federal government can determine, you know, uh, how much water you get, what food you get, uh, your electrical uh, capacity, all that stuff. And it seems like anyone who immigrates to the U.S. from a socialist country is going, stop, don't do it. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, one thing after another, uh, the warning signs are there. And I, I don't know if people just don't care or or don't see it, but it's one or the other. So, but I think that's probably the big warning sign right now for sure. All right. So to the title of your book, you can't write city hall take off on uh common phrase. What, what does that mean? So, uh, you know, uh, the common phrase, you can't fight city hall. So essentially it is a, uh, a true story, you know, retelling my time as mayor. Uh, so, uh, to play on the phrase, you can't write it. You can't. You can't make this stuff up. You can't write uh, what's going on here. So um, uh, that's where it all came from. So many people said you got to write. Uh, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. Uh, you got so many great stories and so many great things happen. You've got to tell people this story. It's hilarious. And uh, I always wanted to write it. It's never had time. And then of course, you know, the pandemic happens. The shutdown happens. And I had plenty of time. I don't know what else I was going to do. Spend time with my family. <laughs> plenty of time well thanks for going along with us today jeremy hope to have you back on next time you got something to promote or re really if if uh if, if anything that, that we talked about today that was sort of new for you you know sprouts you know, seed planted sprouts you want to get into it some more you want to debate you want to have a conversation on the show be happy to have you back on again anytime again jeremy yeah, thanks, man. I'd love to, you know, and uh, like we talked about the book and then the specials on Amazon. If you're not a reader, you can check out my comedy special on Amazon. And I think I get a dollar every time people watch that. So if you could sit at home and just hit refresh numerous times, that would help. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. We're going to beat the system one way or another. Thank you very much, Jeremy. All right. Thanks, Adam.
All right. That was a lot of fun. We got a lot of headlines to skim through, but first, quick check-in with Steve. Steve, comment contests. What do we got? All right, comment contests. So right now, my favorite one is from D. Vincent W. Uh, basically, uh, he, he basically said what you said. Uh, entitlement welfare state is the largest social issue preventing us from advancing individual liberty. Um, so I think I think that comes with some nuance, but I think there's a lot of, I mean, really, especially after this last year and a half, there's probably a lot of truth behind it. So yeah, yeah, no, no, that's it. If you want to sort of say it's it's one thing, it could be as a single threat, the perversion of the market in such a way that has led to individual level dependence yep. on the system. But it, maybe I skipped over this thought earlier because there's a. There's a yeah I did I was going on a bigger rant and you yeah. like sidelined me on something else. Let me finish. Let me finish my rant from an hour and a half ago. God damn it! Um, <laughs> that they they may have gone too far with the, the the welfare state having gotten so big that it has made it possible for a lot of people to make the leap to becoming entrepreneurs yep. through gray market and black market enterprises, working under the table, working with crypto working in barter, or even working in the dollar in a way that's not traceable, which is increasingly difficult. But that may, the, the welfare state may have finally achieved a, a, critical a critical mass for implosion. I want to come up with like a term here that makes me sound like a smart economist who just invented a new terminology that we can, the Kokesh the kokesh tipping point of the welfare state <laughs> when it achieves implosion critical mass. Yeah, yeah. no, because th th there is that point where it 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 the more it may be more than inflation itself that the welfare state causes the runaway dynamic, right? Because if, if the runaway dynamic is inflation first. Then the dollar collapses, you have chaos, upheaval, and the opportunity for government or world government to come in with another fiat currency. But if the welfare state collapses first, and it's basically this gateway to the underground economy for most people enough that it becomes sustainable on its own, then the welfare state collapses. If the welfare state collapses at a point at which that gray market slash black market or bifurcated unofficial market economy is strong enough to support people without it, right? So here's, here's an example to put this in real world terms. If there are enough jobs trimming weed for cash that people can get without paying taxes on them while collecting a welfare check, eventually people are gonna see that as a gateway to so many other jobs and when the welfare state collapses, if those weed trimming jobs are reliable enough, it won't really matter that the welfare state collapsed. And by then, dollar collapse will probably go with it. And so those, those weed trimming jobs will be based around alternative currency. Uh, this is all hypothetical. I don't, I don't, I'm not predicting that it would turn out this way, but this is one way that the dynamics I see manifesting in the next phase of, of, of significant social transition or economic transition. Aunt Ralston weighing in for a $5 super chat. Vote me for Texas ambassador for Gardenia. Vote. <laughs> vote. Vote. 
You are hereby appointed, good sir. Make it so. Uh, done. Done. The king of Gardenia has decreed it. Um, yeah, so does, does my explanation there make sense? There's a, there's a kokesh tipping point of a welfare state in a modern economy where the bifurcated, you know, unofficial part of the market is strong enough that the welfare state can go through a peaceful collapse along with the dollar system that supports it into a transition to uh, an alternative currency that comes with it a substantially uh, meaningful in terms of actual economic resources, uh, you know, new economy. And then it would mean that large companies that are to survive this are going to have to transition over to the new monetary system dictated by the black market. Um, that's a pretty exciting possibility that we may, we may be approaching. And as long as we don't let fear govern our lives, that is entirely possible. I love that theme for today's show, which is a perfect segue to our next story. But I want to be as famous as Ross Ulbricht. Everybody's got to start using this. The Kokesh tipping point. If you're talking about this, this economic fantasy. At some point, I'll write it down and define it. But yeah, the Kokesh tipping point. No. Bitcoin.com. Silk Road founder Ross Ulbricht speaks publicly for the first time since 2013 Bitcoin 2021 conference in Miami. Attendees listen to the first phone interview with the Silk Road's Ross Ulbricht from the depths of the maximum security prison in Tucson, Arizona, not far from where Steve is right now, incidentally. During the interview, Ulbricht spoke about Bitcoin and how the decentralized crypto asset is transforming the global economy. Following the phone call, Ulbricht was placed in the hole, <laughs> according to the official free Ross Twitter account. Yeah. This is exciting. Uh, what did he say? Uh, well, I'm just going to read this whole thing. The rest of the headlines today we can just skim through. This is a fun one worth reading. Russell Brick's voice was heard by the attendees who went to the Bitcoin 2021 conference in Miami this year. The recent interview was recorded by Bitcoin Magazine. and is the first recorded phone conversation with Ulbricht after his arrest. Yeah. Ulbricht touched upon the loss of his freedom and noted that from his confinement, he spent the last eight years watching Bitcoin grow up from in here. During the phone call, Ulbricht noted that he was around during the Bitcoin network's nascent days. And at that time, there were not many altcoins and forks. Ulbricht said, with all that aside, he looked at the crypto ecosystem as one big family. Through his lens in prison, Ulbricht detailed that he's seen the cryptocurrency space invoke lots of innovation since his departure. I mean, this is... Um, Let's see. Can we just can we just play this? Oh no, it's thirty minutes. Mm. I apologize. I'm going to read the critical quotes from the story. I thought the full thing was shorter, uh, but I definitely encourage everybody if you have a chance today, go listen to this thirty minutes interview, and it's uh, will be in the notes at t.me/slash Adam versus the man. So here are the critical quotes that Bitcoin.com pulled out. I've seen incredible innovation. I've seen inspiring courage. We didn't know how things would turn out for Bitcoin back in the beginning, but over the years, I've been continually impressed with what you've accomplished. We are transforming the global economy. We have brought a taste of freedom and equality to far corners of the world. I know we can transform criminal justice too. I thought with Bitcoin, I could try and do something that actually makes a difference. Back then, I was impatient. I rushed ahead with my first idea, which was Silk Road. That's a 26 year old who thinks he has to save the world before someone beats him to it. I had no idea Silk Road would work, but now we all know it caught on. 
it was used to sell drugs, and now I'm in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so much wisdom out of this. I am. I, I hope there's. I, we have more to hear from Ross Ulbricht. So sounds like he's blaming himself already, and that saddens me. Well, but but the uh, institution makes you think it's your fault. I think he's blaming himself for the wrong thing. He's not. He, he's not. He shouldn't blame himself for ambition or impatience. The only thing I think he's guilty of in this sense is sloppiness. It's not guilt because he got caught. It's not, you know, it's not guilt for being a victim. And he's a victim. I yeah. talked about him. Ross Albrecht is a victim in all this. There shouldn't be anybody there catching so, him for like, doing this nonviolent act yeah. to begin with. Um, if he wants to blame himself for something as a rash 26-year-old, it would be being in a library with your laptop open when you had the money to you know, uh, buy a secure location or some other way to get secure internet without having to, 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 to and, and how we dealt with other people that was essential where he, you know, um, wasn't super counter infiltrator guy. Okay. Didn't catch an FBI agent trying to infiltrate and set him up. And that's, uh, dude, Ross, like you're, you did a great. Thing. Yeah. You're not, no, you're not guilty of anything here. Like it's almost it's almost too much for him to take take uh take blame for being, you know, impatient and ambitious. And it's like, no, no. Uh Rich Clark, he wasn't even sloppy. They had a violation rights to catch him in the first place. No, fa fair enough, but I would say that he was relatively sloppy compared to how he could have been. And if he was that tightened up in his own security operations, he might have never gotten caught. He had the money to have, to have completely escaped evasion. He stayed in the United States. To, I say that's compared to the ideal potential of what his security operations could have been. It was sloppy. You're making a very good point that it could have been like a lot sloppier, and it was still neat enough, not sloppy enough that yes, they had to violate his rights to catch him. Great point. All right. <laughs> Promise we get to this story about Israel as well today. There's big news in Israel right now with the shakeup in leadership there. From the Associated Press, Israel's new government gets to work after Netanyahu ouster. For the first time in 12 years, Israelis on Monday wake up, woke up to a new prime minister after Naftali Bennett secured the backing of parliament and ousted longtime leader Benjamin Netanyahu. The two held a brief handover meeting in the afternoon without the formal ceremony that traditionally accomplishes a change, accompanies a change in government, a sign of Netanyahu's lingering anger and hostility toward the new government. Israel's parliament, the Knesset, narrowly approved the new Bennett-led coalition government on Sunday evening, ending Netanyahu's historic and criminal, I added that part, 12-year rule. Bennett now presides over a diverse and fragile coalition comprised of eight small and mid-sized parties with deep ideological differences. Netanyahu serves as the opposition leader. So it's not that he's out and according to some is already plotting his way back to the top seat. But what I'm hopeful of is that this is going to lead to a significant debrutalization of the Israeli government, even if it's only temporary, even if Netanyahu represented the people of Israel and they're really that fucking aggressive you know then 
maybe at least let's let's make it harder for that aggression to be expressed. But I don't think the people of Israel are as evil as Benjamin Netanyahu. I don't I don't think he represents them. I think any change, any shakeup, any any way getting away from that and limiting the ability of the Israeli government to do evil is a good thing. So I am very excited at this positive news. CNN.com, major U.S. mall owner files for bankruptcy. Yeah, we're just going to skim through some of these. Economics headlines is going up. Yeah, there's another data point of where we are, another side of the time. Um, Jamie Dimon says he has JP Morgan Chase effectively stockpiling cash because there's a very good chance of long-term inflation, according to Mediaite. Um, I don't know why you would stockpile cash in inflation uh, during inflation, but um, I didn't take the time to fully understand this one. Um, but I, I think here's what it is. It's so this is what occurred to me, and, and, and apparently this quote backs me up on this: is that you would be stockpiling cash right now while interest rates are low, with the hope that right before inflation hits, you're able to buy assets. You're able to borrow money with that cash even more and leverage it up even more and buy assets with down payments with that cash and basically trick people who aren't paying. You're, you're, you're basically pulling a trick on people who aren't paying attention to inflation, right? If, if, if So, yeah, Jamie Dimon's not doing this out of the goodness of his heart. Okay. Bloomberg at MSN.com dreams of working from a beach risk turning into a tax nightmare. Imagine for a second that the pandemic is over. Global travel has resumed. COVID hotspots are a thing of the past and companies are actually keeping a promise some have been making lately to allow remote work from anywhere in the world, at least for a few months a year. Then envision a Londoner, a New Yorker, and a Hong Konger walking into a bar. Let's say it's in Rio de Janeiro. They all make the same salary, $100,000, and been allowed to work remotely from Brazil for two months. Once they've put down their has and returned home from their stints abroad, who will owe the most in taxes? Yeah. Um, a remote worker from New York could face the highest bill. Londoner could have nothing extra. However, this assumes all three fill out their Brazilian taxes on time in accordance with regulations. And perhaps most importantly, to avoid costly mistakes, in Portuguese, yeah. That's my one-word Portuguese accent. I'm going to stop there. Uh, interesting to see how the implicate post-implication uh, remote work and employment taxation uh, racket shakes out, considering that there was a deal among, what, the G7 recently to tax all international corporations at the same rate, effectively closing a lot of global corporate tax loopholes. LA Times at Yahoo.com, column one, to return to a post-COVID normal. We must learn to trust one another again. I think I meant to save that story for tomorrow. Excuse me. More importantly, vice.com, the gangs that steal your puppies. This is hilarious. Watch Vice's new documentary about the huge surge in dog-related crimes over the past year. And I read this. It was like, holy shit. They are stealing dogs, cutting out chips, and replacing them. This is two illegal dog importers who remove European microchips with a scalpel and implant fake British ones before sealing the skin up with super glue. They claim that as much as 70% of the UK's dog demand is met by illegal puppy farms in Eastern Europe. 
two problems here, right? One, lack of conscious consumerism, people buying dogs from puppy mills or from people who, who don't have the best interest of the dogs at heart or what have you. Um, but then there's another photo on the story. Two dog thieves who recently pivoted from drug dealing into the canine business with a stolen XL American bully and a puppy they've bred from it. And I'm like, well, they, they bred it. Like, it's not hard to make new dogs. Like, you, you put a boy and a girl dog together and you take care of them. And eventually, I mean, given their shots and appropriate medical care, but, but you, you, it's minimal. Put a boy, girl, and a girl, do, boy, dog, and a girl dog together and you get more dogs. Like, why the fuck are they torturing them by cutting chips out of them? Oh, because government. Because government. So lack of conscious consumerism and government intervention is leading to some weird shit with dogs in Europe right now. Yeah. Um, oh, this was the other uh, big economic story. Damn, another super chat, Mike Freeman, waiting in for a dog. Do you have a comment? Do you have a comment he wanted read alongside that? Well, and challenge everybody to Just, drop a dog. Right. And Mike got in on it. All right. Thank you, everybody. Axios.com, U.S. Chamber CEO Suzanne Clark calls it worker shortage project. Tragic. So this is getting to the Kokesh tipping point where the welfare state and the black market sufficiently support a collapse of the uh, of the welfare state without major uh, human suffering because the black market will be so strong that people will be able to work outside of the system. But yeah, this is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce presidents and CEO Suzanne Clark um, saying about the Biden administration, they're easy to talk to, they're easy to reach, they're professional, but sometimes they give us bad news very efficiently and quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Worker shortages are a tragedy. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not in and of itself because the worker shortage, it's not like People aren't available to work. It's not like all of a sudden people are crippled or disabled, although a lot are still crippled by fear of a virus so dangerous you have to be tested to know if you have it. Uh, Craig for five dollars, great show, Team Freedom. Thank There's you. A lot of no, the misconception about that right now. I saw somebody make a post about it's not that people don't want to work; it's people won't raise their wages. Like, well, but they probably can't afford. It's raise, either, raising right? wages relative to the welfare state and so yeah. the tragedy is not that there are less babylonians going to work and paying taxes every day and it's not that they're living off welfare and working under the table it's that a lot of small businesses that were trying to operate above board are no longer able to because uh, they can't hire people black market right they can't just pay cash under the table for a lot of i mean strippers can strip clubs get away with this joey can strip clubs, do strippers at least get paid cash under the table? Because strip clubs seem like they'd be ripe for that kind of economic rebellion strip to make that are transition. A great place to launch. Yeah, but they're not, but that, that those are the exceptions um, for a lot of people. Restaurants, can... restaurants, yeah, no, tips, maybe. No, because bus you're boys, maybe. But you're required to, to operate as a restaurant. No, with... if you're required when you're paid as tips in a restaurant, whatever your gross sales are and in some states they 20 percent automatically on, they assume 
they assume that you're getting tipped and they tax you. And a lot of times you get through, so, you're not even getting 20% of payroll. Some of those businesses will be able to make this transition if we get to the Kokesh tipping point. Some are just going to be shit out of luck because they're going to crumble along with Babylon or they won't be big enough to make that transition. Or they'll they'll just they'll I, I think a lot of mom and pop shops will make the transition. They will have because there's gonna be there's gonna be a point coming where it's more acceptable to do black market business. There are more Bitcoin opportunities where oh I run a convenience store, but we do this other thing in Bitcoin and we just forgot to pay the tax. We forgot to fill out that. Or you have a Bitcoin ATM and maybe that's how your business survives. And that's really all the time we have for today. Unfortunately, we have we have a lot more stories that are going to either come into our show tomorrow uh, or catch up Thursday. Um, Airbnb is spending millions of dollars to make nightmares go away. Weird PR push they've got going on there. Um, let's see. Man in medical crisis takes Baltimore ambulance to drive himself to hospital, police say. Sounds pretty Baltimore, doesn't it? Sounds very um, oh, this is the other dog story. U.S. CDC to suspend import of dogs from more than 100 countries over rabies concerns. Yep, that's their excuse. Sure, sure. All right. Well, that's most of our headlines for today. With that, Steve, do we have a winner? Possibly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm. Uh, let me let me put this up on here. Wow, Rich Clark buying yeah. his way in with a twenty four ninety nine super chat. I'll cover the one dollar for all the closet libertarian feds lurking in this chat. Come Wait, to the there's point nine nine of a person in the chat. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think I think he's covering that penny for me. So man, go. see, see this 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 should be like our our topic for tomorrow's show. Then how and it could be the comment contest too. How to get defectors from, from the state. How to get defectors from the security state. Because we need whistleblowers right now. I mean, I just got visited by the FBI here at my property. I want someone from the Phoenix FBI field office to tell me what the fuck was really going on there. Because it wasn't what they said when they stole it. They came I, I and asked me if I was in the Capitol. They came and asked me if I was at the Capitol January 6th and then stole Ed's cell phone with a warrant. Like, you know what? Come on, you know what? we need whistleblowers. I, I just need to know if you have a Donald Trump is my president T-shirt in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> it's deep uh, in the closet. Yeah, very, very yeah. deep in the closet. Thank you, Steve, for co-hosting yeah. today. Thank you to all our contest entries. A anything else we got to say, Steve? Free Ross. For, yeah, absolutely. I forgot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hashtag Free Ross. Get it out there. Jim, give us the producer notes. What's going on? Yes, the uh, stories we didn't cover, you can find at t.me forward slash They're all there. <laughs> My mic is off. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? It's still off. I'm still off. No. Yay, Jim. My mic is on. I can. All right, I'll on? talk for Jim. Me? Jim, just put stuff on screen to remind me of what Patreon. to say. Go to patreon.com slash Adam versus the man. Go to t.me slash Adam versus man for the notes. Go to CigarFederation.com where promo code Adam10 gets you 10% off. You can also go to Instagram, find us at the Garden of Freedom and at the Garden of Freedom where we have this awesome photo stream of everything going on here in Gardena. Jim, great job on the show today, except for whatever the fuck is wrong with Apparently, mic. everybody Thank else you. can oh, hear him. And what? Yeah, that's what It's me? It's my, so that's a streamer thing because I, I heard the guests. I heard crazy. Steve. Vindicated. Now I can hear you. Oh, now I can hear you. Don't forget to go to gogreenenergyonline.com. Okay. Thank you. For, uh, all right. We got less than a minute. Thank you for everybody sticking with us. It was a fun show today. 
Thank you to our guest, Jeremy Nunes. To Good News in History, goodnewsnetwork.org, Good News in History, June 15th. Um, I haven't even looked at this one today. Um, the, the Benjamin Franklin on this day in 1752 proved that lightning is electricity with his famous kite and key experiment. That's that's I that was a myth. that's really good news. No, that's a real thing. Okay. Yeah, I think that's enough good news for the day. Benjamin Franklin on this day in 1752 proved that lightning is electricity with his famous kite and key experiment. Mwah, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other. 